Chapter One, Part Five of Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book Six, by Cyril of Alexandria, translated by Reverend Philip Edward Pusey and Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty-eight, and they reviled him and said, "Thou art his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses." We almost see the evangelist smile as he says this for he beholds those whose lot it was to hold sacred offices degraded in mental stupor so far as to make an object of reviling that which was so excellent namely discipleship under christ smitten with a worthy love of which some of the saints say how sweet are thy words unto my throat sweeter than honey and honeycomb unto my mouth and again another as if speaking to our lord jesus christ concerning those that disobey him says consume them and thy word shall be to me a pleasure and delight yea the joy of my heart but they attach no value to his sacred words and think that one who is being instructed by him is worthy of blame even on that account alone and holding so far true opinions even against themselves they speak of the christ as the blind man's teacher and moses as their own for in very truth the gentiles were illuminated by christ through the evangelical teaching and israel died in the types given by moses and was buried in the shadow of the letter wherefore also paul somewhere says of them unto this day whensoever moses is read a veil lieth upon their heart and there is no doubt that it was as a type of the gentiles that we were as in a picture delineating the history of the blind man fashioning as in a type the incidents connected with him to express the truth concerning them yet this also is signified that to suffer reproach for christ's sake is a thing delightful and most honourable for the very means by which those who do not shrink from becoming persecutors think to vex those who love him become though the persecutors know it not sources of joy to them yea those who persecute christians cause their excellence to shine more conspicuously and do not so easily succeed in causing them injury the abandoned pharisees then disparaging as seems probable themselves more than christ say of the blind man thou art his disciple and being elated and puffed up with pride foolishly say of themselves but we are disciples of moses twenty nine we know that god hath spoken unto moses but as for this man we know not whence he is boldly do they speak again armed with that folly which is so familiar and dear to them and in undiminished shamelessness they once more boastfully exclaim we know and when they add that god hath spoken unto moses thereby recognizing that he deserved great honour they in another way again insult him seeing that they take no account of his precepts for they ignorantly condemn one whom as yet they know not or rather they dishonour him in spite of what they have learnt concerning him 
although the law forbids them to act unjustly and quarrelsomely towards any or to judge at all in this way something of this sort they say again now confessedly god hath spoken unto moses there is no sufficient reason for any to be in doubt on this point he enacted laws by him and laid down regulations how everything is to be done certainly therefore he says he is a transgressor of the sacred scriptures who has contrary opinions to those expressed by moses and manifestly the law concerning the sabbath has been broken for thou wast healed on the sabbath it is righteous not to acknowledge one who is detected in this matter and therefore condemned now we have good reason to say that he has not observed the divine law then when they say of christ we know not whence he is they surely do not say so as being ignorant who or whence he was for they are elsewhere found publicly confessing that they know all about him is not this the carpenter's son whose father and mother we know how then doth he say i am come down out of heaven certainly therefore we cannot accept this statement we know not whence he is as indicative of ignorance but we shall look upon it as the expression of the arrogance which was in them for throwing contempt on their own previous judgment and setting it altogether at naught they make this statement concerning him perhaps indeed their words indicate that they argued as follows for it is only fair to their arguments that we should scrutinize them more carefully we know say they that god has spoken unto moses certainly therefore we must believe without hesitation what was spoken by him and observe the commandments given him from god but this man we know not for god hath not spoken unto him nor have we recognized any such thing with regard to him but the pharisees want to be wise in their own conceit and boasting much of their knowledge of the divine word ought to have considered that god the father thus speaks when by the all-wise moses he proclaims the future advent of jesus i will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them as i shall command him and whatever man shall not hearken to whatsoever that prophet shall speak in my name i will take vengeance on him surely any one might have rebuked the jews with good reason and said o ye who only know how to disbelieve if ye are so readily persuaded by the words of moses because god hath spoken unto him ought ye not to believe christ in the same way when ye hear him publicly declaring the words that i say unto you are not mine but the father's who sent me and again i speak not from myself but the father which sent me he hath given me a commandment what i should say and what i should speak certainly therefore the words of the pharisees are a mere excuse a fiction of vain reasoning for if they say they ought rather to follow moses on this account that god spake to him 
why do they not think similarly with regard to christ when he distinctly says what we have just mentioned but while in part they honour the law and pretend to hold god's will in high esteem in another way they violate it and dishonour it greatly by refusing to accept its proclamation concerning their time that namely which was announced by it concerning christ that by his incarnation he should appear in the character of a prophet thirty the man answered and said unto them why herein is the marvel that ye know not whence he is and yet he opened mine eyes i am astonished he says and very justly that you say you do not know one who is borne witness to by such holiness and by the divine power shown in his actions yet you are thought to incessantly give attention to god's teaching you administer the law you make the verbal study of the sacred words your great delight you possess the chief power among the people and especially may be expected to know who are good teachers for who ought to rightly know those who by god's power work wonders if they do not who are appointed to minister in holy things and who have been put in charge of the venerable mysteries and by saying that he is astonished that they are altogether ignorant respecting the divine sign so wonderful and strange which had been wrought upon him the man covertly and by implication rebukes them hinting that they were so far removed from sanctification and fitness for piety that they shamelessly confess themselves utterly ignorant of him who is truly holy that is christ for let us lay bare what we believe to have been the concealed thought if that is true which is somewhere well said every beast loveth his like and a man will cleave to his like how then if they were holy and good did they turn away and refuse to cleave to him who was holy and good certainly therefore that which was spoken was pregnant with a rebuke of the accursed policy and behaviour of the pharisees and i think another thing also will help to make this manifest for i think that the diligent student who devotes his attention to such expressions will perceive more distinctly that which seems to be hidden in each what then is this many rumours went about through all judea concerning our saviour christ but they spoke of him only as a prophet for thus the law prophesied that he would come saying the lord our god will raise up a prophet from among your brethren yet they hoped that when he was revealed in his proper time he would instruct them in things above the law and by unfolding the truer intent of the lawgiver would educate them in worthier wise and thou needest not wonder that there was among the jews such a hope and opinion when even among the other nations the same opinion was spread abroad for instance even that samaritan woman said we know that messiah cometh which is called christ when he is come he will declare unto us all things most clearly therefore the jews knew that christ would come for this is what messiah meaneth 
and would interpret to them the higher counsel of god and moreover that he would also open the eyes of the blind was declared by isaiah who says distinctly then shall the eyes of the blind be opened but there was also another opinion prevalent in jerusalem forasmuch as the prophet isaiah speaks of the ineffable son of god the father as quite unrecognized saying who shall declare his generation the jews here also distorting the force of the words in accordance with their own notions imagined that the christ would be altogether unrecognized no one whatever knowing whence he was although the divine scripture establishes for us very evidently his birth in the flesh and therefore exclaims behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and that the mind of the jews in this again was uneducated as regards the comprehension of essential truths when they supposed that the christ would be unrecognized it is easy to see from what the blessed evangelist john declared to be evident concerning him when speaking to them of jerusalem for some of them of jerusalem said is not this he whom they seek to kill and lo he speaketh openly and they say nothing unto him can it be that the rulers indeed know that this is the christ howbeit we know this man whence he is but when the christ cometh no one knoweth whence he is while the jews therefore are thus absurdly laying down these opinions concerning christ the man who had been blind already forms right ideas about him quickly drawing inferences from the marvellous deed and all but seizes on the words of the pharisees in confirmation of his own reasoning for he says why herein is the miracle that ye know not whence he is and yet he opened mine eyes two signs he says i have and very clear ones of his being the christ for ye know not whence he is but yet he opened mine eyes certainly therefore this is evidently he who was foretold by the law and borne witness to by the voice of prophets thirty one we know that god heareth not sinners but if any man be a worshipper of god and do his will him he heareth having already in some measure shown his delight in the proclamations made by the prophets and the law as now fulfilled both in its being unknown whence christ was and in the eyes of the blind being opened he collects for himself aids to faith from every quarter and thus discovers something else also starting from necessary and acknowledged principles he makes a show of going on to the inquiry as to what is profitable and fitting and constructs what may be termed a piece of reasoning well pleasing to god for he maintains and surely there are good grounds for so thinking that the god who loves justice and virtue never hears those who love sin and laying this down as indisputable and universally acknowledged he introduces as a contrast the opposite statement is true and is gainsaid in no quarter i mean of course that everywhere and always 
the lord of all listens to such as are habitually pious and although the conclusion to be drawn was designed to refer to the christ alone it was so constructed as if it had reference to a general and universal principle for as i have already pointed out by anticipation the man who had been blind has an unworthy conception of christ and has not yet learnt accurately that he is by nature god so that he thinks and speaks of him as a prophet to whom he might without blame ascribe piety but this does not rightly apply to christ at all because he is by nature god receiving the worship of the pious as it were a spiritual sacrifice thirty two since the world began it was never heard that any one opened the eyes of a man born blind pained as it seems very keenly and grieving as we may say over their revilings against christ so as to be vexed beyond endurance because they contemptuously said thou art his disciple but we are disciples of moses he is eager to speak on behalf of his master hence he draws a sort of comparison between the achievements of moses and the brilliant deeds of our saviour showing that as the latter is greater in wonder-working so far he is the better for indeed is it not a matter of course that he who accomplishes the greater work should be in every way superior in glory surely it is not to be doubted and at the same time he probably signifies something of this sort whereas a very ancient prophecy foretells and declares thus concerning the coming of christ then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and no one ever before caused astonishment by having done any such deed now it has been fulfilled by him and him only whom you i know not why he says do not scruple to call a sinner moreover a great company of holy prophets are spoken of and a number not easily computed of just men are mentioned throughout the sacred scriptures but since the world began it was never heard that any one opened the eyes of a man born blind is it not therefore certain that this is the christ who accomplishes the declarations of the prophets who thoroughly and completely fulfils the things proclaimed of old for if no other besides him opens the eyes of the blind what henceforth shall stand in the way of faith what shall turn us aside from accepting him or how can we fail every doubt being cast aside to attain by the very easiest way the mystery of knowing him thus in these words also the man who was healed speaks on behalf of the saviour christ and see how very cleverly he puts together the argument of his plea for it would really have been altogether outspoken and frank to say that christ was better and more illustrious than moses and the prophets but it was not unreasonable to suppose that the pharisees frantic at that would have pretended that they were contending for the saints thus insulted and with a good excuse would have attempted to punish the man that he might not live and be looked upon as a monument of christ's glory and a sort of representative of the divine power which christ possessed 
wherefore craftily avoiding the passion that might arise and depriving their murderous thoughts of this pretext for development he diverts the application of the argument to what is universal and indefinite saying since the world began that which christ had wrought upon him had never been done by any one this was nothing else than showing that christ was certainly greater and more glorious than all since he manifested by his actions such power and authority to be possessed by him as none of the saints had ever possessed thus he crowns his physician with excellent honour in everything taking for justification the marvellous deed never before accomplished or attempted namely the removal of blindness thirty three if this man were not from god he could do nothing he who had just received sight and been miraculously freed from his old blindness was quicker to perceive truth than they who had been instructed by the law for see see how by very many and wise arguments he demonstrates the utter baseness of the pharisees opinion for when they absurdly say of christ as for this man we know not whence he is he in reply severely rebukes them for their unfairness of thought when they deny all knowledge of one who worked such wonders it being evident to all that one who was not from god would be unable to do any of those deeds which are only accomplished by divine energy for god works such deeds through the saints only and would never bestow upon a stranger who had not yet entered on the way of godliness the ability to boast of such glories else let the dumbfoundered pharisee come forward and say what is henceforth the distinction with god between the holy and the profane the just and the sinner the impious and the devout for if he enables each equally to become glorious by the same means there is no longer any distinction but at once all things are brought into confusion and we will say with good reason that which is written how shall we fitly serve him and what will be the profit if we appear before him for if as one of the greek poets said isi mira menonti ke imalatis polemisi and the evil and the good are held in equal honour will it not be useless to experience bitter hardships on account of virtue but we will not consider that these things are so and wherefore because them that honour me saith god i will honour and he that despiseth me shall be despised for my part i would ask the self-conceited pharisees if god indifferently works such deeds even by the hands of sinners why the magicians of egypt did not achieve the same things as the great moses wherefore could they not do equally wonderful works and carry off the same glory as he did but thou wilt say that moses's rod when it fell on the ground became a serpent and those of the magicians became so in like manner we answer that their rods were not transmuted into serpents but a deceit was practised and something which appeared to men like the form of serpents deluded them into error 
a certain magical art made their rods look like serpents whereas moses's rod was truly changed into a serpent and suddenly received the nature of that beast and from the distinction which is laid down in the sacred scriptures thou wilt see that what i have said is true for moses's rod swallowed up their rods for since the latter were merely in the outward form of serpents but the former was truly and in nature that which it appeared to be it was provoked to anger that they should look no longer like rods but like living beings and devoured them with unheard-of power beyond the power of an ordinary serpent god rendering such a difficult thing easy to it and again let the pharisee tell me why these magicians who caused their own rods to take the outward form of serpents did not exhibit a leprous hand made clean but in despair openly confessed this is the finger of god and tell me why the priest of baal did not bring down fire from heaven and yet elijah brought it down are therefore god's ways certainly characterized by respect of persons god forbid but because he is just and a lover of just men he works his gracious miracles through the agency of the saints but by no means through the agency of the sinful with excellent reason therefore the man who had been blind rebukes the impudent pratings of the pharisees and convicts them of an erroneous opinion when they say he is not from god who is proved to have a divine nature by his power of working miracles thirty four they answered and said unto him thou wast altogether born in sins and dost thou teach us and they cast him out hard of acceptation to most people are the wounds of refutation and the consequent correction of error they are certainly welcome and sweet to the wise since they convey much profit and have an improving tendency although they may carry with them a painful sting but to those who love sin they are bitter and wherefore because having fixed their mind on debasing pleasures they turn away from any warning that draws them thence as vexatious and deem it a loss to be diverted from their pleasures setting no value on what is truly profitable for just as they who fall overboard from a ship and being caught by the current of a river are not strong enough to resist it and thinking it dangerous to swim in opposition to the waves are simply borne on by the current so i think these men of whom we were just speaking overcome by the tyranny of their own pleasures allow those pleasures to rush on unbridled and decline to offer any resistance whatever hence the wretched pharisees are displeased in crying out like wild beasts against him who brought forward excellent arguments they welcome the beginnings of anger and spouting forth the extreme rage of madness unlawfully revile him and somehow recurring to the haughtiness so natural to them say that the blind man was born in sins thus maintaining the jewish errors and ignorantly supporting a doctrine that will not hold together for that no living person either on his own account or on account of his parents is born either blind or with any other bodily infirmity 
moreover the god does not visit the sins of their fathers upon children not unskilfully in my opinion at least we have shown at some length when we had to explain the words rabbi who did sin this man or his parents that he should be born blind since therefore the man who had been born blind knew how to refute the pharisees he was on that account not only reviled but cast out by them and here again learn that what was done is typical of a true event for that the people of israel were going to utterly loathe the gentiles as nurtured in sins from erroneous prejudice any one can recognize from what the pharisees said to that man and they expel him exactly as they who plead the doctrine of christ are expelled and cast out by the jews End of chapter 1, part 5